This is a View from the Bullens podcast. Listen to all the news, views and inside track from Goodison Park. This is a View from the Bullens podcast, sponsored by The Beer Killer, Liverpool One. Hello and welcome back to a special episode here of You from the Bullens and this is the season review, the fan review and we are live at the Baltic Fleet on Wapping, Liverpool 1. Everyone's got a beer, bar pour with a Coke, stress free, Everton free, the summer is here and we're going to talk about all things Everton. First of all, Lee, you've got the microphone, I'm going to come to you first. It's over. We survived, 17th place finished, season review, I'm going to take you right the way back, talk it right the way, talk to me about Everton season in depth, starting with Dynamo Kiev at home, the park ends, and Paul Draper getting pooed on by a bird. Yeah, I think uh, it started off bad and got worse for Drapes, uh, do, do we have to? It's just, it seems like forever ago, but also it seems like it's just gone in a whirlwind, like but yeah, I remember being sat there, Dynamo Kiev, and we, me, you, Bobble, won it, sat there uh, in our isla. Funny enough, watching Dwight McNeil have an absolute stormer, score a couple on his debut, and then I'm sure we'll, no come, we'll come to him. He played central on the day, didn't he? And he had a proper good game when he came on. Went on to struggle. In the end, he ends up being one of our heroes. But listen, it was a, it's a, it was a tough slog. I mean, looking back, and we're going di- to di- dissect it all in detail or do our best today but I mean we, we don't want to experience it again the outcome was great um, but for Everton to have two consecutive relegation battles is just it's not acceptable um, very very few highs it's far too many lows a couple of periods there where it looked like we were completely gone on all our whatsapp groups of pinging saying we're down because it looked on the face of it like everything was going against us results circumstance injuries form, other teams hiring managers at the right or the wrong time, whichever way you want to look at it. Everything seems to be pointed one way, but somehow Everton have dragged themselves over the line again. I'm grateful they've done it, but I mean, I feel, I don't know about everyone else here, but the last week, I just feel like a completely different person. Well, I feel like I've actually had sleep for yeah. the first time <laughs> in, in so long, like genuinely, you know, I've had the best straight. sleep this week ever. Just I've, being able to go to bed with nothing else on your mind, but maybe what you're doing tomorrow. And what yeah. you've done today, and actually speaking to your family, acknowledging your kids, that's like going over the top a little bit. Lee, just... Lee does have four kids, by the way, yeah. that's why he looks so old. Just... Thanks, mate. Thank you. Really at least didn't get pooed on at the start of the season. Sorry for reminding you there, mate. Um, but no, listen, I'm, I'm, as I say, we've escaped. Were we lucky? I'd say, in a, in, in a way, in, in many elements, I think a lot of things went our way in order for us to stay up in the end. It's a case of three teams being a little bit crapper than we were, which is nothing to be proud of. Obviously, we're gonna, we'll probably talk about what needs to change. That's not for today. We're looking back and reviewing the season, but we've got to hope that that never happens again because I don't want to do that. For three times on the row, no thanks. Dave, obviously to you now, we're going to talk about the manager in charge, Frank Lampard, he was there initially at the start of the season. Kept us up last year. Started off reasonably okay. I think we had, I think we had one of the best defenses in the record uh, in the Premier League at one time, and it slowly started to slip away. Obviously, you met Frank, um, obviously on numerous occasions. How was he, obviously, over the summer during obviously the early stages of this season? And do you think it was right for him to sack him when we did? 
It's an odd one, isn't it? Um, I've, I've been one of the, the, the people probably calling for continuity for a few years. Um, one of Everton's major issues is the fact that we've got bits of different managers, players across the squad. Um, you can see how disjointed the squad is, and it's a result of the fact that we keep chopping and changing every 12, 18 months. Um, so I kind of got Lampard, he came in, he galvanised a club that was, was on its backside at the time. I think the fans obviously contributed towards that and he found a way to rally his round and, and United. Uh, uh, really, what, what, what was a lonely place, you know, at the time it was. it was We were all struggling for any hope at all. Um, he's a young manager, isn't he? You know, he's still learning his trade. Will he ever be a great manager? Who knows? Um, I wanted it to work simply because I wanted the continuity factor. I really wanted a manager that could come in and at least make three years here. You know, in modern day football, we all know that that's hard. You know, it, 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 you know, it, it's an unforgiving beast, isn't it? The Premier League at times. Um, so yeah, I, I did wanted to work for Frank. You know, when I met him, he seemed like you know a man that really understood you know football like he does. He's been a fantastic professional as a, as a football player. Everyone that you, you speak to and, 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 and listen to when you're watching Sky Sports and everything in between says how likable he is and you know how much of a nice fella he is. So you wanted to work for the nice guys, don't you? You know, and I think there was a time that we all looked at Frank and, and wanted it to work for him. As we said, the, the Premier League is an unforgivable beast, and tactics and, and that side of the game really caught up with him. You know, and well, it, you know, and, it, and it, I mean, the worrying thing was the fitness side of thing for me. You know, I, I, I kind of maybe naively had this view that all. You know, Premier League sides are at the same level of fitness, and you've got to be top tier. How can a manager come in and have players throwing up mid-season? Surely they, they were all they're all at that peak level of fitness, and that was a bit of a tell to me because I thought, well, what's been going on? How are these players got to a point where you know they're, they're spewing up mid-season? They should be at that top tier fitness, and everyone on it every single day. So yeah, I was, I was disappointed with Frank um, in terms of how it ended up. I think it was the right decision to remove him at the time. Um, too late. It, well, it, yeah, it probably was too late. And I think the, I, I think it was listening to uh, the View from Bolden's podcast the other day uh, with, with Bowley and, and Park, yeah, Joe Parkinson talking about it. You know, I think Bowley mentions about the fact that maybe Machiri did give him slightly longer because he's been too hasty at times. So probably was a lot of factors that came into play. Um, but you know, it, it, it was right to get rid of him. It was right to get rid of him. Um, and we're back in that same place again, aren't we? You know, we're back in the same place of having a new manager. A summer now where he's going to want to bring his own players in. We hope that actually it's it's fell well part of that process, you know, and he's looking at the long-term vision because that's what should be happening. Obviously, managers are always going to want to bring their own men in, aren't they? But we need to get to a place now where we have three, four, five years of continuity Direction, a plan, and all going in the you know in the, the, the kind of same unified vision. Um, so let's hope that Dyche is that man. Obviously Frank wasn't, um, and yeah, I am a bit sorry about that to be honest with you. As you know, I, I did like him, but it was the right what, what decision. What was he like then, Dave? Obviously for the listeners, just to like obviously touch on Lampard. Obviously you're probably the best here to obviously talk. You met him through the fans forum. Yeah. You spoke to him obviously at the end of the season. What was he like as a man then? Did you, did you think like he got it? Do you think he got the club? You know. I, I think that was the, the most conflicting part. I think he really did understand Everton. You know, I think he really got that. But is that enough? No, we know it's not. You know, you look at likes of Emery coming in. We've got the best managers in the world in this, you know, this division. Now, 
you know, it's it is it's totally unforgiven, you know, and that, and he, you're almost a few games away from being sacked. He probably got that extra little bit longer. Uh, when we went into Finch Farm and met him um, at time, he just finished off from being in a room with Kevin Felwell and Anana, and they were running through plays with Anana to try and get him into the box more and to actually be more of an attacking threat. That was actually pre-Southampton, and if we kind of trace our mind back to Southampton, it he actually wins worked. The header, yeah, he, he wins the header where Cody scores the goal. The second goal, he takes the fullback out, blocks him out, and, and like McNeil lashes his foot round. So you could see, you know, he wasn't soft, and he was talking. He was talking a lot at length about the wingers actually uh, studying like Sterling and Salah, and actually getting on that back post for tappings and the amount of tappings that you can get as a winger if you got centrally. So, look, the fella knows his football, but the problem is, for whatever reason, whether that's a lack of quality, whether that's a bit of naivety on his front, what he, he just didn't manage to, to get what he wanted out of that squad, and it found him out in the end, and, and that's why you know he had to go. Paul, obviously you've been up and down the country this year. Literally, you've hardly missed the game, have you? All season, I think missed one or two. Everton started off with a 1-0 defeat to Chelsea, a 2-1 defeat away at Aston Villa, getting their first points on the road. Uh, obviously, Nottingham Forest uh, at Goodison Park, going on to draw Brentford and Leeds. Then Liverpool, was, we literally had so many like points, didn't we, in the season. You know, we weren't winning games. We were drawing a lot of games, but we were conceding very few. What did you make of the start? Obviously, Nottingham Forest at home, Brentford away, Leeds away, Liverpool at home. There was four points um, and obviously no wins. No strike, yeah. I was just going to touch on that. I think if we'd have had better striking options, definitely a fully fit Dominic Carver-Lewin, we probably would have got um, a few more points, especially when we went to Leeds, we went to Brentford. And we then and when we play Liverpool, I know more pace starts against Liverpool. And to be fair, I thought he had a really good game at the time, but he should have scored. I forgot about that till now. Like, should have scored. I forgot about that. <laughs> he's, he's four yards out. He's got to score. Right. I generally forgot about that. But I think there was there was a few very good performances in there. Um, Leeds, Brentford, as I say, thought. On another day, Damari Gray's on side against Leeds and you go away with all three points there. And Brentford again, Damari Gray, instead of cutting inside, just shoots with his left and puts his 2-0 up. And um, We started off not not the best. Villa was a very disappointing performance. Chelsea just didn't have nothing to go, against, to go for them. And yet I know we started off quite well in terms of defensive numbers, but I actually thought at the time the defensive performances weren't the best. We were still conceding a lot of shots, a lot of shots. We were conceding so many shots, and we just had Tarkovsky and Cody really, really overperforming. I and mean, Pickford. And Pickford, and Tarkovsky has proved to be, I think he's made the most blocks in the Premier League or the most clearances, one of the two. So I thought that that's, that was probably the main issue with Lampard. He just can't set up a team. I, I think I said a few times, setting a team up for the, his game plan weren't always the worst. But we spoke numerous times of his in-game man- his in-game management, how poor it is, how bad. The, well, the lack of, the lack of in-game management substitutions were always off. To to be such a top quality midfielder as a player as he was, I was very unimpressed of how we could set up an actual midfield on the pitch. I think it's happened to him at Derby, at Chelsea, at Everton. His latest Chelsea stint is somehow worse than Everton. And that, that was saying something, especially this this season. So yeah, and I think we picked up our first one against West Ham. Um, and I, 
that was a very good performance. We had those kind of performances in us. Then West Ham, we then went away to Southampton and won the game that you just spoke about. And we were picking up form and I think we played United, had a bit of a blip, but I think they, they were flying high then. They were coming in very um, in, a, in a very good moment. So, yeah, it then just all went downhill. He didn't have Carver-Lewin. Obviously, he didn't have Richarlison. He didn't trust Dwight McNeil, I don't think. He didn't have trust on him. What, the Corey? Froze him out. Yeah, the got frozen out. It was... Anthony Gordon didn't want to be there. He got... He got. We all know what happened with him and his ego. And it just got really, really poor very, very quickly. And we went... St- when we were picking up points at the start, as you say, we were then losing. It was... If you weren't winning, you were always losing. And... That was that, that's what ended up dragging us in the fight, I think, and then obviously the lack of quality and the lack of confidence is what's made us stay up by the skin of our teeth on the last game of the season. Because back then, you and me, Ben, we used to say we don't think we've got the worst team in the league. We think we should. Be. I, st- I stand by that as well. I yeah. really do. I think from January onwards, I'd say we probably did have the worst squads, which I'm sure we'll touch on the January window. But before that, when you had the likes of Bournemouth, Southampton, who haven't who haven't invested. Leeds hadn't really signed. I think they signed Bruton in um, in January. West Ham hadn't reinforced their striking options. You think Evan have got a, a squad good enough to be outside outside the relegation zone, like 15th, 14th, somewhere where you're sort of in a in a good space to sort of then try and build or stay away from from the drop. But yeah, Lampard then got sacked after losing to West Ham and. Then the actual battle and the real push started. I think for me, I think you've touched on it quite well. I think the performances of Tarkovsky and obviously Connor Cody, Jordan Pickford, literally saved Everton from getting beaten in them first few games. The biggest worry I had was that Nottingham Forest game. I remember watching that game thinking, I've got a real worry here. You know, I can't see the structure, can't see the plan, can't see what we're trying to achieve. The midfield looks disorganised. And it was early on that warning signs were literally glaring us all in the face I think the lack of striker what you touched on before and I just think you know you're drawing games we went to Ellen Road that was a good point but you look back now you probably should go there and win really should we go in there to win Brentford we won it up to the 86th 87th minute they score from a set piece we were conceding sloppy sloppy goals but you know that Brentford game they had four or five big big chances in that game and the XGA against us Fingerport was 19th at the time and you know the listeners who tune in don't particularly some, some of them don't like the stats but the warning signs were there and I remember saying to yourself and you know I'm worried I'm really worried and touching on Neil Morpé he scores against West Ham I think I called him the uh, the French Stephen Naismith so it makes me look like an absolute idiot so you know I, not for the first time he went and scored didn't he and I thought we're in no trouble here whatsoever we had back to back wins we went to West Ham and Southampton and I even said to the bobble who's sitting there laughing at me over there we're in no trouble here. You know, we're going to be comfortably safe. It's going to be a mid, mid, mediocre, mid-table uh, season. God, I was proved wrong. But Lee, Crystal Palace at home, probably a big touching point, and probably Frank Lampard's best game or, as an Everton manager. Three 0 you know, against Patrick Vieira, who ultimately did get sacked. Just, just on that note, it was a lot of managers got sacked this year. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably the most ever. 14, 14 got sacked this year. Uh, some at the same club. But 3-0, Crystal Palace. I was in Edinburgh at the time thinking, oh my God, we've got Pep Guardiola the second coming through here. He's putting me to bed. I'm, you know, <laughs> my, all my doubts are gone completely. I thought, right, he's got them going. 4-3-3, you know, Onana, Gay, um, 
I don't know who he played. Was it Decore then? Or Wobi was playing central midfield, not gay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had Zamari Gray. I think Dominic Calvert Lewin came back for that game, mm-hmm. scores, and we won 3 0. What, what did you thought during that game and after that game? Well, during the game, you're thinking Calvert Lewin's back. That's a big plus. Um, but with Lampard, it's just it's a tale of Lampard's tenure, I think, with us. It was just one step forward and about 10 steps back. You could never really settle and think and get overconfident and think, right, this is a sign of something going forward because there was never any tangible plan. You know, it, it, yet it was a good day at Goodison Park. We'd blown Palace away, but let's be honest, Palace were poor. Like, on the, they're not the worst team in the league, and they went on to have a semi-decent season, but on the day at Goodison, I haven't seen many worse performances than that it this season. Shocking, it was really, really bad. So, yeah, it was nice, and we haven't scored more, I think, twice, was it? We scored more than three goals, that and Brighton, was that it? That was it, all season, yeah. Which is pitiful, really, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it was a nice day, but I did it in the grand scheme of things, I didn't really get too high about it because you, you, we'd, we'd, by that, at that point we'd had a year of Lampard and you're burned by your experience and I just had seen it too many times, so it was sort of inevitable what was coming. And for me all season, it was just the same conversations happening. Obviously, starting from the transfer window or lack of at the start of the season and no incoming strikers, obviously we've seen the inactivity in January as well. The lack of goals from Everton, up to the point that Dice started turning things around later in the season and we started creating more chances and looking a bit more effective and having a bit of a tactical plan. There was nothing. It wasn't just we weren't scoring goals. We didn't look like we were going to score goals. And I know you're into your stats and stuff a little bit more than I am and you'll you'll know um, the data behind it. We didn't look like scoring. We weren't threatening teams and it was always a case of if we concede, it almost felt like it was it was we game over, score, and that affected the crowd and everything. Um, it was really flat, really stale. I was looking at the squad, and I know Paul's mentioned there, and I agree with him. I certainly don't think Everton's have got the worst starting eleven when everyone's fit. In fact, I think it's a decent mid-table starting eleven. But our squad is what held us back this season. Our inability to change anything off the bench. Our inability to have any sort of forwards to come on and influence a game when we're struggling to, to get a goal ahead or equalise or whatever. It, it doesn't take a genius, a football genius, a, a super coach, uh, you know, one of these analysts to, to work out what was missing this season. First of all, it was a, a manager who we all got to look back now, hold our hands up. Some of us were for him, some of us were against him coming in. I was very much for Lampard. I look back and think, was that because of the candidates that he was up against? And the quality of them, rather than the attributes that Lampard could bring Say to Say no to Pereira, was it? Say no to Pereira, yeah. I, I got that sweetened and stuff. Yeah, so it was like the lesser of the two evils, almost. Um, and you looked at him and he was a nice guy, big name in football. Could he attract players and stuff like that? So there was, there was a draw with him. But it, you've got to look back and be completely honest and, and swallow your pride if you were one of those people and say... It was so bad in the end in terms of a lack of tactics. The one thing that stands out for me from this season was the comment after the Southampton game at home where he comes out and says at half-time, I said to the lads, there's no tactics in the second half. Just go out and, and, and want it more than them or win the game. And in the Premier League in 2023, I just don't think you can you can do that because even though Southampton are definitely in the worst three, and it's been proven, worst three teams in the league, you can't take anyone for granted, not when you're Everton. We did, you, we did concede within a minute in that game, yeah. you know, in the second half. That's it. <laughs> so, I mean, that doesn't help. Anthony Gordon coming on with a cob on. His body language was shocking. And, don't, and obviously, I, I'm, I don't want to go off on, one, on him. But i seen him come on the pitch and you could tell he was fuming that he hadn't been given a start. He was tantruming like a little kid. 
I'm used to seeing that at home from my 11-year-old, not from a 20-odd-year-old professional footballer. Comes on, gives a f- stupid foul away, and that was another soul-destroying defeat, one of one of many. Um, but yeah, Palace game, false dawn. Um, time came for Lampard, and, and I think it wasn't a day too soon. And I think if we'd have dragged that on any longer, we wouldn't be all sat here now as relaxed, enjoying our pint. This would be a completely different conversation. I, I, I agree completely. And Dave, we are going to talk about that week at Everton. Everton v Leicester and the two Bournemouth games. Probably the lowest point of the season for me. Leicester came to Goodison Park and I thought they're the Champions League team. Again, I'm wrong as always. They absolutely wiped the floor. It could have been 4 or 5 nil that game. I thought Leicester are a really strong team. They've got no chance of going down. Again, wrong as always. But you got that game, the two Bournemouth games, going into the World Cup, getting beat 7-1 on aggregate by Bournemouth. What were your thoughts then? Because I think a lot of Evertonians at the time were choosing their heart over their heads. They loved Frank Lampard. He got us, you know. But their head was saying, there's warning signs here. What did you make of that week? And what were you thinking at the time? First of all, I just want to say um, Southampton made me laugh because every single manager they appoint almost looks like a die-hard film. So I, I, I'm convinced that like Hans Gruber's like the, the methodology because they've all got long hair. They look like they're, they're an actual villain in, in Die Hard. So that's that's another story. But um, that week was terrible, wasn't it? It was it was a week from hell, really. And if you look at again, if you look at certain things, Leicester scored a lot of goals. Um, you know, even obviously when we we got the results against them the other day, they scored goals again, and we had to be we kind of had to match the amount of goals they scored. So Everton's factor is we we can't score goals, and even when we were in top in games, we couldn't convert that into to, to actually you know the pressure into actual. Um, in goals and start start to capitalise in the game, but the Bournem- the Bournemouth games were really worrying. Um, they seemed to want it more, and I, I particularly remember the away game. We were just under siege. It just felt like we were like we just felt like we were just in our six yard box, camped out, and they were just flying forwards us at every time. And the confidence seemed gone as well. Pickford didn't even seem like he, it he was, was disorganised, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was all over the place. Um, I, I remember looking at that and I was thinking, thank God it's the World Cup break and then hopefully we can get a, a you know, couple of signings in early doors and then that might just change the methodology of, of how we're, we are. Because it, it is momentum, isn't it? Football is a lot about momentum. If you get the players in, a bit of confidence, things can change quickly. Fixtures after the World Cup on paper look really kind. Yeah, they, they look great and, and, you kind of, and I think I kind of see where... But well, they kind of just left them for a little bit longer. But as it's proven, it was an awful decision. Um, you know, that's why I'm a fan. And, you know, these people are paid lots and lots of money to, to, to make these big calls. And I think they got it wrong, didn't they? I think that's fair to say. And, yeah, disorganised. We looked shy of goals. We looked devoid of confidence. Um, and, and I think most of us were thinking, thank God for the World Cup, just to give us a bit of a break. Yeah, I think we were sat in as a 15th or 16th. We had a, a bit of a comfortable uh, gap between the relegation zone. And I remember thinking, I think I had an argument with you, Paul, probably somebody else, you know. <laughs> I, want him, I was like, I want him gone. But at the time, I was a bit too scared to say it publicly on Twitter. I, I was scared to say it on Twitter because if you made that assumption, you know, the diehard Lampard fans, you can't change, you want stability, we don't want to sack managers. I've proven that, you know, sometimes I make really bad judgment calls. But this one, I was adamant. We do, we all do, we all do. And at this time, I was going, we need to get rid of him. The, the club looked disorganised, the players don't know what they're doing. And if you're going to sack a manager, 
that's the time to do it. Mm. I think you've got six weeks to go into that. I think Wolves did it. Um, obviously, L- Lobata- oh, I let Paul pronounce his name. He came in and obviously got them clear within like Villa, 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 Villa. Villa, Unai Emery, manager of the season. They went and did it early doors. He got that six week period. It's like a second pre season that we never, ever, ever see re- rarely in the Premier League. So that was a massively missed opportunity. But I agree with you, Dave. I think Mashiri was thinking the fans wanted Lampard. I don't want to bite the bullet too quickly. I give him a chance. We've got some winnable fixtures after the break which didn't quite go to plan but touching on that six weeks a man who has is made the money at the moment who actually went to Australia is Paul Draper and he's going to be past the mic on this one you were in Australia obviously six weeks away met some of the players had a few went to Hooters a couple of times for nope. everyone who listens in but what was that trip like obviously you and Barry and a few of us went over there what was it like as a whole it was amazing to be fair it was a great experience obviously me and Barry um, we were saying we'd never visit this place if it were really for Everton and as a, as a place outside of football it was amazing the people there probably the best bunch of people I've come across the Aussies here they were just all so kind so many Evertonians over there obviously which you'd think I'm a bit surprised by that but when you're looking and when you speak to them obviously Tim Cale Australia's probably greatest ever football player over there and um the players, they all seem very relaxed. The ones that we saw, obviously, we saw a few of the, few of the staff walking around. They were all very relaxed, like they, they were in control of the situation. Everyone involved at the club, the likes of Snods and Gary Steve, they, were, they all seemed like, okay, we've got this. It's just like a blip. We'll get through it, get to January, get a few attackers in. And everyone seemed to be very, very behind Frank. Even like all the fans you'd speak to out there, they'd all be like, yeah, he, he, he'll be sound, we'll be all right, we'll be all right. And, at that point, I was still sort of backing Frank, I thought. He was a big Frank lover. We had these arguments on the pre-match podcast. I, I thought, I think if he, if he gets rid now before the January window without having an attack, I think it's harsh. And I think even after getting sacked and having, having proved they weren't good enough, I still think it would have been harsh. I think, and I think it was harsh on Dice also because he never got attackers. I think that's probably the main issue that we need to be, that needed to be looked at at the, at the time. The fact that we had an injured Dominic Carver-Lewin he didn't travel James Garner had just done his back in at yeah. Bournemouth he didn't travel either so we, we had injuries Ben Godfrey it just was just coming back from his leg break the first game of the season so that was something that people were looking at saying okay we've got injuries big players we need to get a few players in obviously the talk of Anthony Gordon not wanting to be there wanted, wanting out which he obviously ended up leaving so yeah, the mood there was surprisingly very good. And again, the players, they all seem very, very frank. They put a lot of work in. They did put a lot of work in over there. They didn't see it as a holiday. And yeah, it was a very, a very good experience. Well, nothing better than travelling the world, watching Everton. Just shame it's for friendlies and not, and not actual European competition. What were the events like then there, obviously, for people who didn't go? Like, did, who did you meet? What players were there? The events were good. So obviously, first day... Um, First event, obviously, we got there on a Thursday, I think it was, on the Friday. There was like a little breakfast with um, Dwight McNeil and James Tarkovsky. Obviously, Snods and um, Stevens, they were, they were there, basically everything. Then a little watch along with the England game. So all those little things, open training sessions for people to go. And a few, I think, from the Australian supporters club, we organised a lot of fantastic events. They got like a little sort of private training session where they could meet a few of the players and the staff. I think they all had a great time, and then there was a there was a boat trip actually to go round the harbour in Sydney, and that was 
fantastic. The bad air was spot on. The, the bad air was brilliant. But yeah, it was just a, a, a great experience. And I think Christine from Fan Engagement, she was fantastic. She sorted it all on her own. And can't, I haven't got enough kind of words to say about her regarding, regarding that trip and the work she put in. Lee, we come back from Australia and we're greeted with Wolves at home. Um, That's what we shades on in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Lee's on the verge of spontaneously combusting in the corner there, the reflecting of this glass. What? Are you all right, um, by the way? Thought it got all too much for you there. <laughs> Dragging it up. Come back. He's come back with yeah. a four pint. This isn't an optical illusion. He is back. But um, Lee, we come back from the Australia break. Um, we're playing Wolves at home. We've got 1-0 up. Yeri Mina, Seattle mm-hmm. put us 1-0 up. And you're thinking, oh, breathe again. We're up to the thing, it's like 12. Just sheer out Everton. Ultimately, Lampard turns around at the end of the game and blames the fans, saying that we got on the players' backs. He felt like that we were pushing too hard for them to go on and win the game. What were your... Um, Cheers, Bobble. Bobble's putting the... Uh, Creating a lovely on. shadow for me there. Thank you. What were your thoughts after that game? Uh, it's just a recurring theme. Same thought that I've had for far too often in the last couple of years. Just utter disappointment. It being Boxing Day doesn't help. And I'm rounding me and laws who are all reds and they're all cheering for wolves and laughing at me and stuff like that. And that's another thing. I've been able to have banter with a, a red for over two years now because you can't because you just look daft. But it was soul-destroying because I think we all were looking at the, the run of fixtures, starting with wolves as a real opportunity to sort of kick on and get out of the mess that we were in. But it was almost a half-arsed optimism. You never truly believed it because what we, we, we saw on the pitch and the players that we were able to call upon just weren't, just weren't good enough. Um, so it was a, a, a goal and defeat, but it wasn't like a, a major shock. And that's where the shift change in, in the last few years has come. Teams like Wolves are coming to Goodison, Southampton a little bit later on coming to Goodison and picking up points. We're getting beat and we're losing games at home by at the hands of the dross and a lot's been said this season about the away form and rightly so because you know people the home like, form's been a disgrace yeah so and the away form has, has blighted Everton for years by the way we had a little spell under Moyes where that changed a little bit and we had a semi-decent away record but of late the, the lads like Paul and yourself and, and you go week in week out and, and are able to have been so short changed it's, it's criminal and it, it's actually it's difficult to watch these away ends getting packed out and the noise that we make and the, the fact that we set, we've sold every ticket this season home and away. Okay, yeah, so the away form's shocking. But this season and last season, the home home results, and when you're a poor side, you've got a result. You've got to, you've got to sort of rely on picking up the wins at home against the, the rubbish. Okay, you, you, you've almost, in our position, got to be realistic and we right We battered off. Wolves that day. Yeah, we did. We, we should have won. But that how game. many times did we after after games where we say if we would have had a striker, we would have yeah. won that game? You get bored saying the same they stuff. They were bottom. Yeah, and I think what, there was a stat at some point in the season, and one of you keep me honest on this, that we'd lost against our last four games at home. Three of them were bottom at the time that they played us, and it was around that period. Yeah. Yeah. Wolves, all, Southampton. It wasn't even like taking a point. Yeah, Southampton, Wolves, can't, Leicester at Leicester, the time were bottom. Yeah. I think Lee said before about. Palace being the worst team you've seen at Goodison. I still stand Wolves that day as the worst I've seen at Goodison yeah. all year. They, they were absolutely awful and they got away with the win. They won, won it later on. They were absolutely awful. Yeah, they were, but teams weren't having to come to Goodison and worked very hard 
to, to beat us and that's, a, that's the worrying sign and you look back now and hindsight's a wonderful thing as a football fan Everton or, or whoever else but you're right when you were looking back thinking no, we, something's got to change here everything's putting and I know we've had a lot of things going against us and a lot of negative surrounding the football club in the last couple of years but on the football sense there was nothing to hang your hat on and go we're going we're gonna to get out of this and I don't want to touch on Dice because I want obviously there's going to be a flow to this podcast but everything changed when that happened there seemed to be a plan with, with Lampard it was almost like a throw 11 on the pitch or in training throw some cones out and just hope that the players are going to dig it out of a mess it doesn't work like that As a person with a very deep voice I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell B2B and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either that's why if you're a B2B marketer you should use LinkedIn ads LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Dave, we go to Man City New Year's Eve. And again, you know, we get a point at the Etihad. I think they went on to win 15 or 16 games on the trot following that game. Plucky little Everton. And you sometimes think... You know, does Lampard deserve a little bit more time? I think if we would have got beat there, I reckon we may have acted sooner. I think that point may have given him a few more weeks. What did you make after that point? Did you think, like, there's a chance, you know, we're not going to be in a, in a fight? They, the, the players are fighting. They certainly look like they were fighting in that game. I remember the week leading up to it, and, and people were talking about the fixture, and they were saying that, you know, that it was almost like a free hit. But the next game, they were going to then make a decision, uh, depending on the results. Look, there's nothing, nothing to free it in the Premier League, and sometimes that's where we've gone wrong, as we write games off before we even play them. You know, that's a lot of the away games. At times, you kind of say, well, if we get anything out of it, then it's a bonus. Um, but it, it, it was a good point. Uh, I think they, obviously you remember the, the round uh, Harland up quite early on in the game, didn't they? I think Godfrey has a bit of a tattle on him, and then he was struggling um, to, to try and get. Obviously, he got the goal in the end, didn't he? But. Um, uh, for once, we actually stuck to a bit of a plan, um, and, and counter attacking suits us best because we just haven't got the players. We haven't got was the it back five, back five that yeah, game. Yeah, because Godfrey was right centre back. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. But we, we just haven't got the players to dominate games. We haven't got the possession based players. We haven't got the you know the play, enough attacking talent to, to really take it to teams. So counter attacking almost suits this side the best because it's the you know the, what we've actually got in the squad. Um, but it, it was it was it was it was a game that no one expected. I think that grey goal to came, but you know oh. the, the longer it went on, one nil, you, you kept thinking, well, you just get one chance or a corner or something. You know, there's a chance of us getting a goal, and that's almost the, the opposite story to us because we don't score in games and we give teams a chance to come back into it. I mean, Wolves was mentioned then, and that was the issue. It was there for the taking. You touched upon. This 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 period that game away at City where everyone's like that was a and it was it was a solid performance a good like tactical setup 
it was amazing the week later what we did if you remember what we did at home to was it Brighton we were like a mini Man City they're like, they're like Man City B team they set up the same way and we played a high and line and we played a high line and went, went to a back four and at that point I was just like get in the bin get in the bin it was just it was bizarre and we got battered and everyone could see it coming Spot on. Yeah. It, it proves the point, doesn't it? We are a counter-attacking team. The second we tried to play what Lampard thought we could do as a team, fell to pieces every single time. And I think after, for you, quite quite rightly touched. So we went on then to play Brighton uh, at home, got beat 4-1. At very, very angry scenes there. Very angry scenes. Of course. We went to United away, got beat 3-1 at Old Trafford, so we then out the cup. Southampton at home, which was an absolutely... Horrific results. That's that's a game. Nathan Jones hadn't won in nine. Comes to Goodison Park, somehow leaves with three points, and you're thinking, oh my god, this can't get any worse. And I think that was the game when I I put my Twitter rant and saying, get him out this club right now. The club stuck with him. They went on to West Ham to then get beat two 0 and then the inevitable happens. Super Frank Lampard is relieved of his duties at Everton Football Club. What were your thoughts then, Draper, when, when this happened? Three weeks too late. He, he should have been gone after after Brighton, probably. It was disgraceful. I think I remember you were saying about you put a tweet out. I think after that Brighton game, I put, obviously I always take a picture from my seat and put a little tweet out. And I, and I said, every single person involved in this football club should be sacked tonight. I still stand by that. I think every, every single person associated to them that day should have gone. I think that's when all the all the noise against the board started after Brighton. Obviously, there was all the sack the board chance. They all started halfway through the game. The 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 the, the, the stands were empty really by the time that sixty by, minutes by, by it the, was it was it was empty. By the time it? that we scored, who did leave? Yeah, they got off after two 0 I think, weren't it? I, I didn't even know which score to be fair until the other day. I, I tried to get off, and they wouldn't even let, let me out on the Gladys Street. It was, it was, it was sort of like, it, you, it was like a film that day. It was just everything that could go wrong was just going wrong. Dan and Gay playing short balls, Pickford cleaning Tarkovsky out when trying to save one of the goals. It was just probably one of the lowest moments of the season because you come off such a such a good performance and such a high against the best team in the world right now, Man City who I think since then they won every single every game, game yeah. apart from the last game of the season where they didn't get yeah. and you just go and blow it away there to a let's be honest Brighton a very 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 good um, although they did concede five to us which I'm sure we'll touch on later but yeah that was just was just like he's gone well too late here Frank just time to go and get the best possible man in for the job which was Sean Dyche Lee, obviously, pass you the mic now. Obviously, during the mix of this, the Everton board and the hierarchy have obviously you utilised some certain platforms and Liverpool Echo and the Athletic who released a somewhat questionable, you know, article in relation to what they've been briefed on and they had been briefed on it, you know, behind the scenes. They were told, obviously, that a fan had got Denise Barrett Baxendale in a headlock. Um, which, which is quite a, it's quite a massive part of this season because this is when obviously this, this in essence started the civil war. You know, to, to put it quite politely, you know that that was it then for a lot of fans. It was total war on the board. We had Lampard who was stood on the sideline on his own. There was no board there present to obviously back him. 
what were your thoughts as this was going on, especially around them comments around an, a, a fan putting a, putting a fan in a headlock, putting Denise Park back and down a headlock? It was the timing of it more than anything else, just that, that in terms of it being so long after the alleged event. So the fact there was no substance to it, um, it made me incredibly angry. I think the one facet and the one part of Everton that isn't rotten to the core is the fan base, is the, and no one can argue that, whether you're an Everton fan or, or any, anyone else, it's, a, it's an asset that we're lucky to have, and if we hadn't had it in the past couple of seasons, I don't think we'd be, we'd be in, in the Premier League as we speak. So to, to almost spit in the face of the one part of the club that isn't destroyed, bearing in mind they've destroyed the rest, like to say that to kick in the teeth would be, would be an understatement. So what followed, I think, was sort of inevitable. We'd, we'd been seeing crap in terms of the, the football side of things for ages. It sort of, in a horrible, sickening way, got used to that. Not, you weren't happy with it, but you, but you got used to it. But the fact that they turned on the fans, it, was an us, it, it very much became an us against them sort of feeling. Um, and the work that's gone on to sort of peacefully, legally, respectfully protest against what we believe is really, really bad mismanagement of the club is, is, is credit to the fans because we're, we are an intelligent bunch. We, we care about our football club. We're not supporters. I, I, say that, I said this in an article recently. We're fans. Sorry, we're not the other way around. We're not fans, we're supporters. We support our club in person, in voice, financially, sometimes when people are really struggling as well. We're not just fans who sit behind a TV set or pick and choose when we follow our club. With Everton, it's not a choice. So when you're seeing people in authority, in positions that you should be able to trust, taking liberties and aiming shots, cheap shots really, at the fan base, we shouldn't accept that and we haven't accepted that. And it's fair play to the people, all the people involved and every Everton fan who have got involved to make that message get across and, and get across loud and clear that we won't tolerate it. Enough's enough now. You've made your bed. You're not welcome in terms of at the club anymore. Um, and hopefully the, the signs that, that may come to fruition in, in a way, we'll see how things develop in the next few weeks. But it was a disgusting thing to do. I think it's backfired on them immensely. Whoever's sort of pressed go on, on that, I mean, they must have rocks in their head. I don't know what, what, what's going on there. But I think even people, the likes of Ian Wright, people who are true football people, people who, don't forget, will have been in and around Everton Football Club during the careers, players, managers, seeing what type of club that we are, they want to be blinded by that statement. They've seen it for what it is and they've called it out and fair play to them. So, yeah, it was disgraceful. Dave, what were your views? You obviously speak fairly well in my eyes in regards to all things going on with the board and obviously been involved heavily with, you know, the push from the 1878s, you know, from different fan groups coming together to push for a better Everton because that's what we all want. What we all thought at this time, it was a, it was an eerie, it was a massive disconnection, wasn't it, between like the supporters, as Lee quite rightly said, and the football club. It, it's crazy, really. I, I, I still, I mean, you, you kind of blank it out of your head, don't you? We kind of looked around when we said about the headlock. We were like, did that actually happen? You know, almost like a reality show or, or something that someone had dreamed up in an Amazon documentary, but it was actually happening in front of us. I remember being in the Winslow, um, and it was it was a couple of hours before kickoff, barely any reception and. That kind of, there was a bit of a, a weird atmosphere all of a sudden because people were saying someone's headlocked the CEO of Everton and everyone was like, what? You know what I mean? You can't really get on your phone to, to check it, do you know what I mean? Understand what's gone on. And there, was, there wasn't any details right then. So there was that kind of total 
word of mouth thing that was getting passed around, and that's dangerous, you know, because people start, you know, adding to the story, and, and that, you know, and that, and obviously that was the first planned process from what I believe it was to sit in after the game. Um, so I've got to say, look, I think the question was uh, was was. Uh, I think the t- sorry the, the timing was very questionable. Um, I think whoever briefed that situation needs to have a long, hard look at themselves. As you mentioned before, you know it allegedly happened two weeks prior. So why was that not mentioned? So you can't help but come to the conclusion that it was it was almost mischievous. You know the, the way it was released and and the kind of timing of the release. Um, was it before the Southampton game? It was before the yeah. Southampton game. I, I, and ironically, that was when MSP um, were, were there. Were there. Um, so the board weren't in attendance, but MSP were. Um, so it, the whole thing was a, a PR disaster. You know, even it, it was. It was a total deflection. Um, and what, what to me, what it was as well, it was a lack of understanding about fan media in 2023. You know, this was 10 years ago with Bill Kenwright and, and, and maybe using some of his media contacts, and I'm not blaming anyone, but, you know, that, that old school of thinking where, yeah, we'll, we'll set a narrative and, and everyone will believe that this is the case. But look, look, look what we're on today. You know, the, the, the information's out there more than ever. You know, fans speak to people, you know, at various different levels of the club and, you know, outside, you know, media contacts actually release information to fans. So information's freely available, um, you know, and, it, and I, think, I think everyone questions what happened there. It went from a, a headlock to an attempted headlock within a couple of weeks, you know that. How do you even do that? I know, well, that's a, effectively an arm around the shoulder. Yeah. That was me with Kev at the weekend. I know, so, I mean, I, I mean, a Saturday night I must do, uh, you know, at least 25 attempted headlocks, to be honest with you, as soon as I've had a couple of drinks. Um, but uh, it, it was, it was the, the whole thing was naive, to say the, say the least. It was reflective for me of times maybe 10, 15 years ago everything's moved on fan content information's freely available social media photographs everything's out there now and I think it was totally misjudged um, what happened then is, is, is a total divide anyone that, that may have been sat on the fence a little bit started to think this is, this is really unacceptable I've got a friend that, that, that goes to the game and, and well long story short they read the papers on, on Monday and they couldn't believe what they read so it was totally not reflective as, as to what the game was actually the game was thousands of fans greeting the coach you know see a blue up and, up, up and down Goodison Road after the game it was a respectful protest but the way it was kind of set is that you know Everton fans were animals the headlock and the CEO the, you know, they're, they're awful in the protest but that wasn't the case and, and anyone that was at the game and actually knows Evertonians know, you know, knew that that wasn't the case and I mean, look, we're sat here today and nothing's been repaired. They still can't go to games. And that's all because of their own doing. It is. It really is because of their own doing. And, you know, there'll be Everton fans looking today, seeing reports of possibly the CEO and chairman standing down. I doubt there's a dr- you know, I, d- I doubt many Evertonians are gutted reading that. I think most Evertonians will be thinking, it's about time they all left. We need a clean sleet, uh, a clean sheet in terms of the, the boardroom. We need a new start. Um, and we just need someone to give us hope, and it's not that bored. They've eroded the trust of Evertonians, and there's no way back for them. I think that was the time in the day where that was it for the Everton board. They could never return, you know, to, to, to start a, an unfounded rumour 
and that's all it is at the moment a rumor because it's never been proven you know the cctv at goodison park is absolutely impeccable it's top of the range there's like you said there's camera phones there's footages if something's happened in the main stand it's on camera 110 percent the first thing people do nowadays is you that in the face so everyone would know and i just think that i actually felt sorry for frank lampard he had a struggling manager and his employers left their employee hung out to dry and in that in that moment he was stood there he looked lost didn't know where to turn he had no backup there was no power from behind him the fans were in complete discontent you know they've been blamed for something that hasn't happened it was like a civil war it was kind of like we can't go through that again we're not going to fight for this club anymore they've started this is up to them they need to sort it they all need to leave and we ultimately went on to lose that game and i and i will put any money on it that press release hadn't come out we'd gone on and won that game and i really do believe that it was that eerie can you believe that's been published like did it happen who on earth done this? When did it happen? At what game? Totally backfired. The it whole thing totally backfired. backfired. It was yeah. completely PR disaster. And I think if they wanted to remain in any sort of capacity, that was the day that they shot themselves rightfully in the foot. And we're going to move on then to the end of January. Just go on. before. Go on. The fact that <laughs> the fact that Mayside Police said there was no incidents reported on the night for any in at all, even similar to that, just speaks levels and says that they were lying like they always have been. It was a PR stunt from from the chairman, as he always has done, and it backfired. And he'll be gone soon anyway. <laughs> Definitely, and we're gonna we're gonna jump on towards Sean Dice coming Here into we go. <laughs> to, to Everton. This is a man in yours propaganda. Big the Ginger Mourinho, Lee McLean's lookalike Sean Dice. <laughs> but he gets appointed towards the end of January. What were your thoughts at the time? The best man for the job. The best man for the job because he's done it with similar and worse squads in worse apparent team in Burnley he's achieved what you never think someone at Burnley could have achieved with that squad which was taking them to Europe obviously and he came in I think he was he was already sort of in on the Friday but he didn't announce until deadline day which I think it was, he did the same with Lampard yeah, he did, or, he did or Lampard full training like, sessions over the weekend yeah and he didn't have no players. He didn't bring. He didn't bring him no one in, didn't he? Um, we all knew that was going to happen. And I thought with the current squad, Anthony Gordon had just departed for forty-five million pounds to Newcastle. For the for the squad that he had, that was probably the best manager we could have got. I think Bielsa himself knew he couldn't do it. That's why he wanted seven weeks. And if not, he needed. He wanted to take the under twenty-one till the end of the season. Which looking back. Who knows what would have happened if they got rid of Frank Lampard after Bournemouth? Eh? Another day in Evertonia, that isn't it? The Maggio wanted the, uh, that, the under twenty ones. That's job. what he's like. I, 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 rem- I remember, say, I remember saying American. to you, saying to you when he was linked. <laughs> I remember saying to you when he was linked and he was the, the leader because he was Mercedes man. I wouldn't be surprised if he come, came into Everton and after two or three days he got off because yeah. he didn't get on with Mercedes or Mercedes didn't bring in targets because he's done it before and he's a man of, he, he's got his principles and that's probably his biggest quality he, he believes in his principles and his way of doing it and if he can't do it like that he won't do it but yeah we got the great Sean Dyche and his first game we all know what Arsenal had him brilliant performance everyone was really down on the dumps obviously Lampard had left um, we had nowhere to go really and 
we just thought, what are we going to do? And then Sean Dyche came in, we put in that performance, and then that, that's when all the stickers started. For those who don't know, me and Paul are a big if you Sean don't know Dyche by, enthusiast. If, if you don't know by now, you're new. If, you're not, if you don't know about the stickers, by now, you're new. The, um, look, Lee, Andy Gordon's just been sold for £45 million. Dan Juma's turned his phone off to the bobble. He's left to go to Tottenham. <laughs> he, he's disappeared. We've got no... We've got no signings inbound. Sean Dice has got a disjointed squad. The board is still not coming to games. The fan base are going, we can't do what we did last year again. Did you think we had a chance then? You know, we've got Arsenal, Liverpool away, Arsenal again away. You know, we had some really difficult fixtures coming up. I, mean, I think we were 15 points joint bottom of the league. It looked horrific, didn't it? No, the, the, the quick and easy answer is no, I absolutely didn't. With all those circumstances in play, at the point we hired Daesh, I thought we were gone. I thought we've got absolutely no chance, no matter who we bring in. And I agree with what you guys are saying. I think profile-wise, he was definitely the, the out of the two candidates. And by the way, if you look at those two candidates, how if that's not symptomatic of another mistake on behalf of the board, if they're your two candidates, talk about chalk and cheese, there's no no sort of direction behind that it's just throwing things in the air and seeing which one lands first so maybe perhaps more by luck than judgment we've we stumbled on digestive ed but <laughs> digestive everything ev- everything was put everything was putting against us you've got a beer mat dave haven't you I have, yeah. the, uh, and a mug, and a mug yeah. i've got a mug um it's a miracle and i remember a podcast not far after he was appointed where i went on record and said if i gave him a 10 I think that was a little bit premature because there were peaks and troughs. It wasn't all smooth sailing. But how can we expect it to be when you look at that squad? But I think... I've lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? How great Sean Dyson. Yeah, no, yeah, well, that's obvious. <laughs> but I think he played down a lot of the, the sort of bad feeling. So he, I remember his first couple of press conferences and he was getting hammered with questions around oh, how disappointed are you, the fact that we haven't signed players and... Do you feel let down that we haven't brought forwards in? And he completely focused on the positives and we've got good players here and we'll focus on what we have got. I'm sure in private and deep down he was probably thinking something completely different and he was annoyed and he was let down, but he never ever let that come across. And if you think that's going to have an effect on the training pitch Monday to Friday, and if you look at the improvement that we've seen from the likes of James Tarkovsky who by the way before Dice came in he was starting to struggle a little bit he was getting dragged down to a level that we hadn't seen from him before Dwight McNeil unbelievable that the the transition in him the turnaround in him was just phenomenal Um, Abdullah Decore completely frozen out looked like his career at Everton was gone he was on his way to Fulham he was on his way sat sat on the pitch at half time almost in tears sat on on a football looking like he, he wanted to be anywhere but Goodison Park and he ended up being one of our most important players. And in fact, the three games that we were without him through suspension, that was where Dyche had his little wobble, mini wobble because he didn't quite get to grips with how best to deal with his absence and who, who to put in and what systems to play and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that was, that was where it was before. I went on record and said, if, he, kept, if he keeps us up, it'll be the single greatest achievement from an Everton manager since David Moyes got us fourth. And I stick by that. So even though it's not been perfect, I think personally, without question, when you, when you take everything into account, circumstance, playing squad, everything else going on around us with the opposition, like I mentioned before, it, it's a miracle. And I think miracle is not too strong a word. I think it's a miracle to keep that Everton squad up with 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 no striker, no fullbacks, the lot, 
what a man building a statue big statements I completely agree I share that sentiment I genuinely do believe it's a miracle I think I've touched on it with the bobble the um, the suspensions the contract talks the injuries you've got no James Garner no, no Dominic Alvett-Lewin no Nathan Patterson um, you know it was a real I thought we're not going to win a game Dave you, you won't mind me saying this you were a bit sceptical of Sean Dyche initially um, you know so a, a, and a lot of people were a lot of people were thinking you know that, that we are ultimately planning for next season in the championship which a, a few did has he won you round? I, I would say he probably has yeah um, I mean my overarching thing is continuity I've, I've mentioned it earlier on the podcast is that we need to give someone time you know I don't want to chase a manager out every six months or every 12 months we do actually just need some time to just step back and, and give them time um, I think that look it was never going to be perfect was it we've talked about all the, the mitigating circumstances you know the, the Takure uh, set, you know sending off we were on top in that Spurs game that could have been a win on a different day we were on top you know and that could have been three points and then you kind of go on and you, you're almost secure before that last part of the season um, so there's there's lots of things that, 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 that probably he just didn't foresee happening um, I was getting really really kind of frustrated at times of with his kind of loyalty you know with, with Michael Keane that's a fair point I think that's probably a big negative of Dice that but one. look he, he, he turned around and he, he you know he put me in so he could have he, again going back to the, the, the podcast the other week with, with uh, Parkey and uh, and Borley talking about it and they said that you know kudos you know he actually went 360 and you know he actually he changed it and put me in the back in and you, making mistakes is fine everyone makes mistakes but actually owning up to them and saying right hang on let's do the right thing and put me in and then that he deserves the credit you know you can't criticise someone if you're not prepared to then get them plaudits as well because you're just being tunnel visions um, I think a big factor as well is, is, is that we were losing games too easy um, we were saying on this podcast weren't we let's see what this what this point matters at the end of the season because you know the, the, certainly the away ones we weren't winning them but we were managing to scrape a draw it was them points that probably kept us up I mean if you look I'll, I'll go back to my little notes here but uh, he has come prepared yeah I have come prepared <laughs> but we, we, we were all talking about the draws weren't we we were kind of what will it, you know, with this point being off at the end of the season? But we en- we ended up. Half an yeah, that's that's, <laughs> a, that's the wrong uh, part. There. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> but we, we we ended up. We we'll just sent Bob on the bar, mate. Right? Yeah, <laughs> four Peretti. No, wrong part again. Um, but the with twelve draws in the ends, and um, I think Sean Dyche is running. He actually has um, six six of them, so almost half, and a lot of them were away games. And at the time, you were frustrated because you were thinking we could have kicked on there and, and won that game. Forest was one of them. Palace certainly was definitely one of them games where you thought, actually, there was more to that. You know, the Wolves game, possibly, um, up until the injuries, we were on top. Because you know, was a big one. Leicester, was yeah. So there were plenty of opportunities there. But we didn't get beat. And we were all wondering, what will that mean at the end of the season? Well, what, what it meant is actually we stayed up. You know, and, and actually just not getting beat and being resolute actually meant something. Um, you know, and, and, and what was outside of his control was the goals. We didn't bring in goal scorers. It was something that we knew at the start of the season. It was something that we knew by the end of January. Uh, and it was something that we weren't surprised at, that there were opportunities to win games that we just couldn't because we didn't have goal scorers. And that wasn't within his control because we talk about the circles of influence, don't we? And we start talking about leadership. 
that wasn't within his circle of influences. But what he done is he came back in, he looked at the squad, he gave players second chances. I think he'd done that exercise where he gave players a chance to, to be honest about the situation. Um, I think he, you know, it was a kind of you just kind of post little comments and he, he read them all with his, his backroom team and that's all I, I mean my old job was leadership that was that, that's all talking about leadership continuous improvements these are the little things that you kind of gloss over but they were big factors in why we ended up staying up it was getting everyone together a clean slate getting the best out of what he had in front of him um, and, and yeah you know he was pragmatic at the start he started to become a bit stubborn but in the end I think he found the right solution and that was to keep Everton up so kudos to John Deitch I think Paul one of the main things for me with obviously fortunate enough to get credits and obviously go away you know go the away games a few of the sponsors help us get tickets the bobble has his contacts at the club gets us a few tickets but, you know, going to these away games, you know, you touched quite rightly on them, and we're going there and we're not getting beat. We're actually showing a bit of fight, a bit of character, and as Lee quite rightly touched on, over the past few years, Everton have been going away and just limpering to a defeat, you know, limping 2-0 defeat, back up the, back up the, uh, the M6, back up to Goodison. It's, and it hasn't been good enough. Under Sean Dice, it felt like there was always fight, there was always a will, and there was always a way. And I think them points are massive, you know, the hot Tottenham Hotspur. Sorry, the Nottingham Forest, the Chelsea last-minute goal, the Wolves last-minute goal, the Leicester, you know, scoring late on. You know, if you you don't win games, you draw your away games. If you can win your home games and draw your away forms, away games, you will ultimately stay up in the Premier League. You've been to probably, I don't know if you've missed many away games this season. Two in the league. What was it like under Sean Dyche away from home? His away form was actually outstanding, really. For the situation winning, I'm not sure. Off the top of my head, I can only remember him losing to Liverpool and Arsenal. I'm not sure if he's lost any other away games, but the points at Palace, points at Leicester, Wolves, Forest, the Chelsea one, obviously, the massive, massive win at Brighton. Got, got beat United away, didn't we? Oh, yeah, United. Well, he's lost to the three out of the top, out of the top five in the league. So they're the only three that really you've lost away. If there, if there isn't any more that I'm forgetting and that's that's really really good with putting into context what the situation is and how the season's going and what the team's like so away from home it feels like we've always got a chance whereas at home obviously because we've got to put the pressure on teams it seems like we're not suited to do that yet obviously we haven't got enough goals in us enough creativity enough quality going forward but when you've got that resilience that fight that will away from home it will get your points more often than not in the Premier League and we got lucky a few obviously, obviously a few of the games Yeri Mina um, scoring that goal away at Wolves Ellis Sims when he retired Koulibaly at Chelsea and then obviously as, I, as I've mentioned it a few times now that Brighton demolition where I still can't believe it happened I, I'm, I still don't know where that come from to be fair but yeah his away form's been spot on so that is the game Lee Brighton won Everton 5 the game that I wasn't there and they go on and put that performance in I think that speaks volumes next season he's to pack it all in and stay at home what were you thinking at the time then obviously 5-1 I'm thinking I'm in dreamland here that was the performance that kept us in the Premier League in my eyes yeah absolutely because you looked at it before the game and Brighton like Paul said before the boss like they're a really really top side deservedly got Europe this this year and you looked at it before the game and you think that that's tough that and you're looking at our remaining fixtures as well and how many times will we be talking about okay how many points are we going to need is 34 going to keep you up it's 35 you know this is this is our predictions for these games everyone 
everyone at Brighton as a loss and one of the games that you've got to almost write off. But fair play to Daisha. I mean, he, he's nailed it on the day, tactically-wise. Um, early goal always helps, but the, the how dangerous Everton looked on the break on that day and how clinical we were and the quality in the final third in terms of picking the right option and stuff like that was just outstanding. And in the end, yeah, like you say, you look back retrospectively, that is the win. And that's everyone who I speak to, family, whoever, Reds, mates, they all say, that Brighton game, that's the, that's the one that's keep, kept you up. And I know we can look at points elsewhere and, and they all count the same but I think metaphorically looking at that Brighton game that, that's so unexpected so out of the blue to go away we only scored more than twice once before that to go away blow a team away five could have been seven or eight was absolutely brilliant and, and it gave us that injection of confidence I actually thought going into the Wolves game after that you're, just, you're thinking just semi-replicate that and to get a win there, that almost sees you safe and we couldn't quite do it. We were quite flat on the day. Injuries really, really deflated us and stuff like that. But huge, huge result. And let's hope soon we're sitting in a place where we're Brighton are and people are envying Everton again and looking at us as a, as a club to aspire to and doing things the right way because it's sad that we're going to Brighton winning 5-1 and it being such a shock. That shouldn't be the case, should it, for Everton? No, I agree. And Dave, obviously, Everton's home form, I think under Dice beat Arsenal, Leeds, Brentford, and then we're on to that Bournemouth game. Last day of the season, Everton need to win. It didn't feel nervy, Goodison Park. For those who are listening, who obviously we have a lot of listeners in America and across the globe, if you weren't at the ground, it wasn't nervy. It was almost as if everyone knew. I, I, you know, I've never heard Goodison Park that loud. If it was nervy, people wouldn't have been like shouting that loud. You know, especially when Leicester went one nil up. No one like kind of cowered. No one kind of thought, "Oh my God, this is it." Everyone got up loud. What, what, what were your views at the end of the game? The final whistle's gone. How are you feeling? It, well, obviously, it was it was a game um, that. You're playing Bournemouth for home, you know, they're a couple of places ahead of us at the end of the day. You know, take away their kinds of finish and I think Gary O'Neill's done a great job there. It was a fixture that you look at and you think, all right, well, it's in our hands, we're playing Bournemouth. If you can't win this, then you don't deserve to be in the Premier League, to be honest with you. Um, it was a worry about the goal situation because you were thinking to yourself, like, obviously, Carvel the wind's out and genuinely, where did the goals going to come, come from? I started hoping that we get a bit of a set piece and it'd be that kind of goal but as it was Takure could hit probably a hundred of them and he wouldn't hit one anywhere right near as close as that it was uh, the technique you know the fact that the two players were almost closing them down and it just stayed one of them where they say it stayed hit it stayed hit didn't it um, and it needed that type of goal that day I think just to relieve the nerves just to put Everton you know in, in the situation where actually it's in game over yeah and, and I think I think they earned it. They definitely earned it, you know, and that and that 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 almost felt like a dream scenario. Like you say, Takure almost gone to Fulham. He becomes that kind of, you know, tightest man, reinstalls a bit of confidence in him, puts him almost as, you know, second striker, and, and he comes up and, and he produces the good. So it just shows you what good leadership can do, empowering people, giving them confidence bringing them, you know, actually saying, look, go on, all right, well, I trust you, go out there and show me why you're a good player. And that almost seemed to all get repaid on that last day, of the, you know, the last day of the season. It was a great goal, wasn't it? Oh, it was unbelievable. And the scenes at the end of that game was incredible. But what I liked most about that game was it was a 10-second relief 
and then the anger started. It wasn't like last year against Crystal Palace where everyone was relieved party time. 39,000 fans sung, sacked the board. And rightfully so. To go through it once is mismanagement. To go through it twice is gross negligence. It's an absolute disgrace what they've done to this fan base, what they've done to all of us. We've lived and held each other's hands quite literally this season because a lot of people have struggled. Genuinely, they have struggled. And it's just been... A relief that this season's finished, we're all sleeping well. You know, how on earth this club, this board, this owner has put us through this mess again is absolutely beyond me, and only they can answer them questions themselves. But quick snapshot, I'm going to ask all four of you this dead quick questions. Best, worst, craziest, and funniest moments, Paul, I'll go to you. Best, Brighton away. Worst, it's got to be Newcastle at home or the, or the Bournemouth uh, debacle. Craziest, without a doubt, headlock gate. <sighs> and funniest, I don't think there's been anything funny. I've, the only thing that I've found funny was maybe a few, few of the comments that I've seen of people. May, actually, yeah, funniest people asking for Dice to get sacked after, <laughs> after Fulham. <laughs> Lee, best, worst, craziest and funniest. It's hard to pick a best one or a funniest. Um, best, probably just the final whistle at the end of the season and just the relief. Worst, in a weird way, there was that many to pick from. The one that stands out for me, the derby. Cody's goal getting disallowed. I was fuming and I just knew it was going to be onside and I still think it was. I think they drew the lines dead lazy because it was Liverpool that got disallowed. I think we were robbed. That one sticks with me. Um, funniest... Anthony Gordon think, thinking that Everton fans owed him some sort of big goodbye and, and serenade. All right, mate, yeah, get back in your box. Um, and what was the other one? Worst. No, we've, funniest. We've funniest. Yeah, Best, worst, craziest, funniest. Crazy headlock gate. Craziest has got to be headlock gate, isn't it? Dave, you best, worst, craziest, funniest. Well, the, the best, I'll be honest with you, I've been very disappointed that I can't get brown sauce in the paddock. Um, and um, <laughs> if, if you're having a steak pie, you need, you need brown sauce, don't you? Honestly, it was the best highlight because brown oh, sauce has been installed in the paddock. Um, so I actually found it. It's like, honestly, it's, honestly, it's the old Alanis Morissette song, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. but we, we can never find tomato sauce in the paddock. Um, so I found <laughs> brown sauce. Um, so that, that's that's my best moments. Um, what was my worst moments? Uh, when there wasn't brown sauce. Well, yeah, yeah. But there has been, I mean, there's been some terrible moments, hasn't there? But um, I'd, I'd say my worst moment probably was when, when Frank Lampard probably the realisation that he had to go because, you know, I wanted someone to succeed. Uh, I wanted continuity. All them things became real that, that neither were going to happen. Um, so, yeah, so that was probably the worst. Um, what was my next one? My, um, craziest. Craziest, yeah. It's got to be headlock. We've said it all, all along, you know, how's that a real... Amazon must be absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't get Everton these last couple of seasons because it would have been would have been one of them. You know, you're, you're almost watching Ted Lasso and you're thinking, is this real? You know, it's like, you know, and it's like it, it's beyond reality. But they would, they've just missed a show for ratings there, haven't they? And um, funniest. the funniest was sat in the winds, though, with Lee, um, with the power ballads. Yeah. Oh, them power ballads in the winds, though. Honestly, we, it was pre game, wasn't it? Yeah. And you should have seen some of the power okay, ballads getting kicked off. Okay, was that? Where the Americans were over, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. They were doing like proper tunes. BB. BB was there. BB was there. But the power ballads in the winds, though, yeah. Honestly, 
fantastic soundtrack and that, that's all I can draw from this season because it's been that bad but I'm that power enthusiastic about brown sauce in the game and power ballot ballads in the Winslow so you know what a season review I think my best moment this <laughs> season was just being at Goodison Park after Decore scored I think I have never been in a louder ground in my life at Mika Richards you know we'd been in the San Siro Champions League semi-final the week before Goodison Park was rocking Gary never thought he was going to fall off the bloody the, the gantry at the top it was, he said it was literally shaking so that was probably my best moment my worst moments Newcastle uh, I went down at uh, it was a 3-1 um, and then Isaac walked past about 15 of our players and I just thought we've got Brighton next or City as well to come there is absolutely no chance I, I'd roast us off I, 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 said, I said we're gone um, I, I'd give up hope on that one um, but luckily we are still where we are funniest probably Michael Keane against Leicester trying to argue that it wasn't a penalty by putting out his arm by saying it hit me here which is standard a penalty that. which is standard Michael Keane so that's probably <laughs> my funniest moment you go to any referee at least point at your shoulder or under your arm but to point at your actual arm yeah that was funniest and craziest getting £45 million for Anthony Gordon I thought it was an absolute steal um, you know, we've it is if we actually find the money. Is the Anthony Gordon money going to become the modern day Michael Arteta money? And that, that's the um, that's the question to ask. Isn't and it? we'll ask, we'll end that for Bill Kenwright. Where is the Anthony Gordon money? <laughs> but uh, on that, honestly, thank you as always for joining me today. We hope you have enjoyed. It's a bit of a different, uh, obviously, scenery. We are live at the Baltic Fleet. We just thought to do a bit of a pub, a few bit of a pint. But thanks as always to our Patreon members throughout this season. You've been absolutely incredible. The sponsorship, CD London, Beer Keller Liverpool, have been absolutely incredible. For those who come to the events, we can't thank you enough. There is obviously another one coming July 21st, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But in the meantime, stay safe, up the toffees, and all the very best. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.